Capcom sets up a lopsided Street Fighter League Grand Finals event that has a lot of us, including some of those participating in the competition, scratching our heads. Momochi wins a whole bunch of money but doesn't take it because of Jesu pro-license politics. We take a closer look at some of the proposed issues that killed Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite and Catalyst really hates Rashid on this week's episode of the Event Hub's podcast. Perfect. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Thank you for having me. Yep, well, it's not a with you as always if you're not here, right? So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I want to get right into it, damn it, because I saw something that came up here on Event Hubs, uh, you know, that website, whatever, uh, and, and it just pissed me the hell off and it actually leads into a, a segment I wanted to do anyway um and man oh, I hope it, you left a bunch of really hateful comments in the comment section yeah that, that's <laughs> definitely what you do but uh I, this starts off with <laughs> man is Akuma a fair character damn it is he ever fair and just totally legit to play against right and uh anyway so the story is, is up on our site right now you can check it out um uh, but uh Dalson, uh, throws his critical art out, right? You know, three bars, uh, giant free. And there's like 12 hits or some crap of that. I don't know. I didn't count how many hits it was, you know, before we recorded this. But damn it, there's a lot. I think it's, it's five, but don't quote me. Yeah, it, it's a lot to deal with, right? It's it's hard. It's a giant, you know, thing. Uh, so it, this is a, either a tournament match or something like that. It's a, it's a high-level match, right? I think it was at uh, Wednesday Night Fights. There it is. And up to snuff, uh, Steve, shouts to him. Uh, very nice guy. Uh, and a very quality player, for that matter, uh, despite the fact that he sometimes uses Akuma, uh, but whatever. Anyway, so he jumps <laughs> up into the air. He does an EX air fireball, and it completely negates Dalsum's critical art, but but does not even just negate it. It actually beats it, and he gets a single hit on Dalsum. Yeah, so, Dawson has to block afterwards after he spends uh, all of his meter to throw out his super. It's uh, Commander Jesse, I think, in the grand finals of Wednesday Night uh, Fights from on Wednesday. Last Wednesday, yeah. I guess it would have been. Yeah. So two scrubs, right? Like these guys yes, just don't know naturally. what they're doing and just terrible players and all that. So th this is like documented proof in a tournament match that is a big deal with very quality players. Um, and and uh, what the hell are you doing, Capcom? Like how are you letting Akuma just be this character? Like just completely do whatever the hell he wants. This is one bar versus three and the one bar wins. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking about this as if it's a new thing. This is not a new thing, and I okay, don't think... Some new stuff happened, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. And go ahead. I don't think that Capcom actually thinks that this is not... They don't, they're not like, yeah, that's that's balanced, I see no problem. They're like, yeah, because he's Akuma, because we designed this character so that everything that he does that's similar to anyone else, he just does the much better version, but it's a matter-of-fact thing. He's been doing it since Street Fighter Two. It's been 30 years. How can you be upset about this, John? Secretly, I'm upset, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm upset about it because I looked at our usage stats this weekend for the Asia premiere, which is a super premiere event. And uh, we did the usage stats on it. And Akuma led the pack by a sizable margin here. He was at 23 players using him. Uh, and the next person in line, which, which was M. Bison, was at 15. Like, that is how insane Akuma is and how many people are using him right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll go and round this out here just because I'm going to rant about these other characters too. Um, but uh, so Bison was 15, Yurin was 13, and then we have the usual suspects all at 12, which was Obuki. And then guess who? I've definitely never talked about these characters Kami. before needing to be nerfed. Kami Rashid. and Rashid. Ten points! Exactly. You know exactly where I'm going with that. And this crap just pisses me off because look here's the thing about this and, and i i don't have to fund this so i get it you know but but 
we could have had a 0.5 balance patch this year that only addressed, let's just say, you know, for the sake of argument here, just Rashid and just Akuma. And I think most people in the Kuma, uh, most people in the community, most people in the Kuma, my goodness, but most people in the community would have been very happy with this um, and supported it. And I think even a number of, of Akuma and Rashid players would have been like, yeah, we probably have that coming. And they did nothing. They How can you be the nothing. president of Event Hubs, the worldwide leader in competitive fighting game coverage, and not realize that Capcom certainly did not have time to go through a .5 balance patch where they figured out how to how to make Akuma and Rashid a little more fair? When were they going to find the time to do that when they were coming out with three new characters and a whole bunch of costumes? That's what they've been yeah. doing. That's what they've been spending 2019 doing. Yeah, well, you know, those whole, like, 15 months of silence and whatnot that they didn't do. <laughs> it takes that long to do three characters and a bunch of costumes. We all know that. <sighs> so, anyway, so I'm a little salty about that this morning. I mean, I wake up, I'm having my coffee, and I read that. I spit my coffee all over my computer. I have to clean it up. I blame Akuma for that in event. Got to go to your second computer. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I just, I'm salty about it. I really do wish that we got that .5 balance patch. I just, I still to this day don't understand... Again, you don't have to. We've talked about this numerous times on the pod here and on the website for that matter. Um, and, and just said, look, you don't have to address every character in the game with a 0.5 balance patch. If you're stuck on Fong and you're like, what the heck do we even do with this guy? We get that. We understand that it, the people at Capcom, they are very good at balancing and doing. I, again, I, 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 we hold up Street Fighter V on a pedestal, but it's like. You can see that two characters in particular are gigantic problems, and there are very good suggestions out there in the community on how to deal with them, and you don't do it. And it, I, mm, so yeah, I'm gonna be salty at you. Let me rub a little more like, salt in your wound right now. We just came out with a patch to get the the cool new, and and I do appreciate the costumes. You know, the, these these Halloween costumes and stage, and the Balrog one that we saw from two years ago or whatever. Um, and and that is cool. But they also came out with uh, a little, not a balance update, but they fixed some bugs with Ryu, Akuma, Cody, Lucia. And, uh, and, and so they are paying attention to these little things and they are putting time into making sure that these like little bugs are fixed, which good, we're glad to see yep. that. But like, yeah. why not also Akuma's EX, you know, air fireball doesn't beat Dalsum's super anymore also, you know, that, that could be a cool other bullet point to also put in your, uh, in your patch notes, but that's just yeah. a thought. Yeah, it doesn't have six hits of like freaking insane crap and have a giant hitbox or whatever. And again, I mean, we we haven't addressed that one in particular until now. Like, I mean, we didn't know it was an issue, so there's a chance maybe Capcom didn't know it was an issue. But when you're assigning, you know, six hits to an EX air move that has, you know, like tons of priority and all that kind of crap, maybe you, you say, hey, maybe we should pull this back just a bit. Maybe we've given Akuma too much stuff when 23 freaking play players are using him at a super premiere event. It, it Okay, so people might be like hey you know what like that's not even that big of a deal like why is this a big deal to you like okay there's only so many times i can watch akuma and rashid in a tournament match and <laughs> and not freaking want to just gouge out my eyes it, it after a certain point i don't care how high level the players are i don't want to see that matchup again but you know what i would like to see do you know what i would love to see i'd love to see lucia poison Honda, and a few other characters that we don't get the opportunity to see. But you know why we don't see them? Because freaking Kami, Rashid, and Akuma are running around destroying those characters because they're too freaking good for how much effort that you have to put into them. And, and it that's sounds why like them. Mm -hmm. you're getting into... It's... it's Okay, so we started we started this with like, well, let's whine about Akuma because we don't play Akuma. And I that's not what we're saying, but there are a lot of people that could you know, categorize the beginning of the podcast thus far as such. But what you're getting into now 
now is actually the, the idea that that gets into the esports realm of watchability. You just said something very important. I don't want to see the same crap over and over again. And you're speaking not as someone who's who's playing the game and hoping for balance and got, not wanting to get frustrated by losing to like the hundredth Akuma in a row online. You're talking about uh, a butt in a seat, and butts yep. in seats have become very important to not only Capcom but just you know anyone that's going to be involved in esports. And so even if you're not worried about Akuma balance, this introduces a whole other thing. This is a whole other piece of the pie that has become relevant in the recent times, and you got to acknowledge it. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's this is where they're planning on making huge amounts of their money. They care uh, dramatically about their audience on there. They have it listed to their investors that our audience, gaining an audience, is one of the biggest things we are looking at with our esports ventures. And you have to take that back to your developers and say, hey, look. Don't let this crap go through. Uh, we've got event hubs complaining about it. You've got a bunch of people in the community complaining about it. Like, do a 0.5 balance patch that just, like, put it out now. Put it out tomorrow, you know, and address Rashid's corner issues. And, and I don't care if Gachakun or whoever falls off the map because of it. It's like, well, guess what? You've been well, playing Well, then they weren't good cheap. enough. <laughs> yeah, you weren't good enough to begin with. And I'm not saying that's the case. Like, Gachakun's incredible. And a lot of the top Rashid players are great players. Don't get me wrong. I just think that character is BS. And I'm tired of seeing him. Uh, Nico, our, our newest staff member, uh, he actually jumped into the chat the other day and he's like, man, I hate watching Rashid. And, and like, oh <laughs> no, like, did he just get promoted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, I want to promote you so much right now. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, welcome officially to the team. Uh, he's been with us a while. He's officially been a, a member a while, but I'm like, that is like, you know, one of the graduation points of being an event hub staff member. It's like, you hate Rashid. <laughs> he's just everywhere. He's like all the time you're watching this damn character. You're just rooting against him not to show up at top eight so you don't have to watch him anymore and the same thing goes for akuma i think it's at a lesser extent because akuma players aren't notorious for getting top eights like all over the place uh you got tokido you got haitani you've got a few others like samurai is a great player as well um but he's not as dominant at the end of tournaments as he is at the beginning but i watch most of the tournament matches i i you know i i watch a lot of tournament footage um and I'm just, it, you you really, it, it sucks. And it's like, I want to see Poison. I want to see Honda. I want to see freaking Fong or Nash or a bunch of other people. Like, get me some variety. That's why you have all these other great characters in this game. So people can watch what they do, see new things, get enticed by that, right? Like, if you've seen Rashid 50 times in a row, the 51st is probably not going to entice you to play Street Fighter V. But <laughs> if you see a really good character uh, out there doing some brand new stuff that might fit you and do it, that will bring you in. And again, it's... It's, people love variety. Seeing the same thing over and over again, it gets old. So, mm -hmm. agreed. Uh, so, a little frustration with me this morning. <laughs> but let's get into something that's not frustrating, even in the slightest, not even just a little bit. And that would be the Street Fighter League having a pretty wide disparity between some of the teams out there. All right. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to turn this one directly over to you because I know this is a story you're actively working on right now. Uh, go ahead and set the stage here for our listeners. Okay, uh, where do we begin? So, Street Fighter League, most of you have heard about that already. We just got ours started here in North America, um, and, and now we're a, a season and about a half into it. And then Japan has been doing it for a little bit longer, maybe a year or so longer. Uh, uh, you can go back and, and, and see the tapes there to find out exactly how long. But essentially, to... to my understanding and what I've seen so far, Street Fighter League is an esports venture that wants to achieve two things. One, they want some entertaining Street Fighter action for audiences to watch. They also want to have an opportunity 
for new players that haven't had the same kind of tournament track records ability or, or, or uh, opportunity to shine to come up against these pros and maybe make a Cinderella story because hey that's entertaining too very esportsy very butts and seats and you know what it's been good so far it's been fun to watch it's been very entertaining um, and, and great so like I say we're about uh, well, maybe about a third of the way through season two of the North American Street Fighter League right now and uh, and then simultaneously Japan is doing their Street Fighter League and at the end of these seasons the top two teams from the North American side and the top two teams from the Japanese side will meet at Capcom Cup and these are teams of three by the way they'll meet at Capcom Cup and those four teams will face off and I'm not sure the particulars it sounds like it's each team versus all teams versus all teams um, but there's a hundred and uh, is it 35,000, 125,000, no, 135,000 dollar prize pool that gets distributed between uh, these these finalists. 90,000 of that goes to the first place team. So all of a sudden, man, this went from, hey, let's give new people an opportunity and such to this is some pretty big life-changing amounts of money. And the teams for North America have been decided. We've known them for a couple of weeks now. We've even talked about that because that had some controversy in and of itself. You can go back to old episodes to hear about that. But the teams for the Japanese side were also determined. And those teams are ridiculous. Uh, some so, of those teams, I will say. Yeah. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've been digging in um, even further. And the, even the names that aren't really known are still some pretty badass players. Uh, but, you, but you're right. So, so this is just a community reaction upon sight of the uh, of the teams, and people are just going, "Oh, they see the names. Oh, Fujimura and Daigo are on a team, uh, and and these are these are teams of three. And it's like you know Nemo and Kichipamu, and then you got like Fudo and Itazan, and it's just like world class competitors that you see in the top eights of Evo that are repeat." Uh, attendees of Capcom Cup that win super premieres, you know, Bonchan and Gachikun, people like this. And that's great. So it's like, okay, these are some really stacked teams playing for $90,000. And then you go on the other side and you look at the North American teams. And we've got of those, as far as track records and resumes go, you got two world class players there in Knuckle Dew and Punk that have been on those same stages to a comparable degree to these other guys that I just mentioned. And then you have a handful of people that are really good, especially in the uh, you know like in the North American region that are that are winning ranking events and such. You got like 801 Strider, he just took down Thunderstruck and he's won a couple before. Mm -hmm. um, Samurai, who you mentioned, who's OCVing every team that he comes up against. The guy's amazing, at least in the uh, bubble of Street Fighter League. He uses a Kuma. Yeah, I, I just I forgot. I just I wanted to add. You're totally right. So forgot. he's not yeah. even good. He just uses a great character. You're right. I'm sorry. No. So Mikey's um, awesome and, and a very quality player. Right, yeah, right. So, yeah. so you got but, JB. You got Arturo Sanchez. You know some some notable names that have uh, have certainly earned their stripes to a degree, but they're still not Tokido and Daigo and and Bonchan. You know, just one Evo and such. And so people are like, there's there's there is very little chance that these North American teams whichever ones come out on top are going to have uh, much of a chance against these Japanese teams that are just crazy stacked. And this is coming from players like 801 Strider, who, like I say, is an active competitor in Street Fighter League right now. He posted about it kind of one of the first, and then, uh, of course, Twitter th uh, threads ensued. 
and people like Sejam, people like uh, Justin Wong and Brian F, who were both on Street Fighter League last season, they've all come out and pretty much agreed with 801 Strider in that, like, this is kind of a bad look. This doesn't really make sense. Why are you pitting up it, basically the varsity team against the JV team uh, for this amount of money? It doesn't seem to make much sense. And so, I've dug into it a little bit further. We're trying to figure out exactly how the teams on both sides are formed. And the process is, or the processes, I should say, are very different. Um, the Japanese, or well, okay, so we know how the American, the North American side goes. Uh, six captains were chosen based on their, uh, their performances in the Capcom Pro Tour. I think it was regional leaderboards. So they're like kind of the best in North America. Hey, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you're talking about the captains of teams. Okay, great. Then you have uh, multiple online events where if you won one of these online tournaments that were, I, I believe they were split up between the West and the East regions, so latency wouldn't be as big of an issue in uh, North America. If you won one of these tournaments, then you are one of the online warrior class. And then there's a, a third group that, that gets into the, the initial draft of Street Fighter League. And these are the ones that were voted in. That's the one we talked about. And th this is like the likes of Sherry Genix and uh, I believe Brawly Legs and Arturo Sanchez, people like that. And so you have one class of, of players that made it because of their skill in the CPT. And then you got another one that won online. And then you got one that, that got the popular vote. And, uh, and then in Japan, the, the way the draft was formed um, was, oh, and I, I should start with the six players were chosen. Um, I'm not sure the parameters for that, except for that they all had the Jesu Pro license. <laughs> so that was the likes of, who was it? Daigo, Mago, Tokido, was it Fudo, Itazan, and then Nemo. So those were chosen as the team captains, which are pretty reputable. They're not the tops of the CPT leaderboards. You have people like Bonchan and Fujimura who are really high up there that aren't team captains. But hey, I don't think people are going to really complain about the likes of Tokido, Mago, Daigo, Fudo, Itazan, and Nemo as captains. Okay, fair enough. From there, those uh, six captains were uh, tasked with choosing from a 24-person draft pool. The way that draft pool was populated was uh, through a very rigorous and, and refined process. There were three different leagues, if you will. A collegiate Japanese uh, league where only college-level players were allowed to, um, I think they formed teams and they played through a series of events, and then eight people end up in the uh, in the draft pool from the collegiate group, and then there was one league from the Japanese arcades. It was thirty Japanese arcades were involved in this, and you know how big of a deal the arcades are. What kind of competition you're getting out of these? It's not just like some random Joe Schmo that walked in with his kids off the street on a random Saturday and decided to sit down and won one of these things. You're talking about people like Bonchan and 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 such playing in the Japanese arcades. So there's a whole process of events that happen in the Japanese arcades, and then people from, the, like the winners of that whole thing get put into the draft. And then there's a rookies caravan, and that seemed to me from, from what I read a little bit more like like a traveling, almost like a reality TV show where they do kind of go get kind of people off the streets and have these setups and have people play. In any case, you have these three groups that all have their individual processes, then and they all play and refine, and, and you have to qualify. Eventually compiled into this 24-person draft. Now, the six team captains are allowed to choose, uh, and I don't know exactly how they went with the, it was a snake draft or what, but they choose their teams based on this, and they could choose anyone from the draft that was in the draft. 
unlike the way that the North American draft worked, where you had to have a captain, you had to have an online warrior, and then you also had to have a uh, crowd favorite. So it, it almost ensured that like there's those three basic tiers of skill level baked into it, which is which is just fine. Like I say, when you are trying to achieve this idea of, a, of an esports entertaining, but also opportunity for, for someone that hasn't necessarily been up there as many times as everybody else kind of thing. The problem is when you bring these two very different entities together under the same banner of Street Fighter League, and you say, okay, and now they're going to play each other. You go, well, wait a second. Japan had this really rigorous process where they basically got almost all the best players like in Japan, a lot of extremely world-class traveled players. And then you're taking on the likes of some people that are just emerging out of like North America. And it, it just doesn't make too. sense. I mean, people got hired for winning polls and like their personality content creator type players you know what you, i mean they're not bad i'm certainly not bad but they're not they're not known for their in, intense incredible skills in fighting games basically. right they're, tommy two-step versus bonchan it's it doesn't take a whole bunch of analysis to go okay maybe tommy two-step will eventually get on bonchan's level but bonchan's out here winning premieres left and right just took down evo and tommy two-step he's great he i've, I've run into him online he, he's, he's a strong urian player but he's not bonchan you know yeah. and it's 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 silly to pretend like that is a very, uh, well, I don't even want to say it's not a valid competition, but it's like, what exactly are you measuring here? What exactly are we getting out of this besides probably Bonchan just running over players like Tommy Two-Step? Yeah, I, I mean, to address your point head on right there, it's, it's what do we realistically think the U.S. team, like, do we... Is there someone out there? Let's say you could bet a thousand bucks on this. Is there a single person out there who would take the U.S. team, like realistically betting a thousand bucks on there when they could take one of the Japanese teams? And I have a hard time seeing too many instances of that. I'm sure there's a few out there, you know, a few people who would do wild bets. But for the most part, it's it's really hard to side against a Japanese team. But I'll I'll, I'll jump in and, and note that I do see this as less of a U.S. versus Japan thing, even despite what I just said. Um, I see this more as like, why the heck did you let some of these teams get together? And to give a, quick, a couple quick examples of that, um, one team, the three people on it, um, they all currently would qualify for Capcom Cup. And that would be Nemo, Kichipamu, and then John Takauchi. And it's you have three Capcom Cup people on the same team. How the hell did you let that happen? Hmm. And that, like, I don't know who's all responsible for this. I don't want to point fingers at people without having done our proper research. We are doing that right now. But when you are, are supposed to be encouraging some kind of, like, amateur level being a part of this, and you have three people that are all currently probably going to make Capcom Cup on the same team, that is stupid. There's no excuse for that in any way, shape, or form. It's basically like the equivalent would be like, hey, we've got um, you know two NBA players, and then we've got a guy who's in high school, you know, and it's like, oh well, okay, that could be interesting, you're right. And then, but on this other team, you let in three NBA players on it, and you're just like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you, you, and uh, it's for ninety thousand dollars. You're like, well, maybe yes. the high school guys are gonna win ninety thousand dollars. It's like, yeah, but probably not. Hey, yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And another team has uh, it is on Itabashi Zangief, Dogra, and Moke. The first two are currently in a spot to uh, qualify for Capcom Cup. Uh, Moke is at thirty fourth overall, which is you know the thirty first spot qualifies, which is dang close. Like it, it is very possible that Moke actually picks up enough, enough points. He plays Rashid after all, right? And, and actually gets into Capcom Cup. And again, so those two teams. I look at and I go, what the hell were you doing when you were planning this, this, 
you know, competition to let this kind of thing happen. There is no excuse for that. That is called lack of foresight. It's called lack of planning. You screwed up big time when you allowed that to happen. And in my opinion, right now, there's no way to go back on it. You can't just kick those players out or redo teams or whatever. You had the rules set up. You had all this stuff going on. You messed up big time. And that's what happens here with this stuff. Like I look at this and I look at the growing pains and I also go back to like, hey, we should have freaking had a 0.5 patch for this game and we didn't get one. It was stupid. It was a dumb move. It was also really freaking dumb to spend four or five months not saying jack crap to the community who cares so much about your game and loves this game with a passion because you guys can't figure out your bull crap. Yeah, pretty frustrating. We have uh, an official statement from Capcom, which we will be putting in the story here, uh, and it reads, For the first year of Street Fighter League, we've evolved the team composition, format, and rules across both territories. Season 1 of the Japan League is very different than Season 2. The U.S. League has a little bit more consistent format, or a little bit more consistency, I should say, from season one to season two, uh, but it also experienced some changes. It is our intention to refine Street Fighter League over the next few cycles until we achieve the best possible version of the series. In terms of skill level disparity between the leagues, we are aware of this concern and are considering format changes to put the teams at better parity for the global championship at Capcom Cup. So it actually sounds like, and that's the end of the quote there, that they're even considering changing stuff like before Capcom Cup happens to to address this uh, disparity, which is actually fantastic news. This um, is awesome. And yeah. and look, this is where we stand. Uh, Street Fighter League and this whole esports is a new thing. I've said this before with Capcom Pro Tour issues. There have been plenty of problems, but hey, it's also a new venture right? And we don't expect you to get it perfectly every time. But when you communicate with us and you say, guys, give us some slack. Okay, you know what? You're right. We're, we're doing this for the first time, uh, but we're going to try to change it. And and when we hear you, that's really all it takes. I mean, and, and there's a certain amount of mistakes and severity of mistake where you go, okay, this is too much and we just can't trust you guys to do your job anymore. That's not where we're at. I don't think with Capcom at all, especially not with something so new and so young. They're, they're taking chances. They're exploring new territory. They're going to be hit Hiccups. The fact that they are responding with these kinds of things is the huge difference maker right now. You do want to see progress made in the future, and I believe that they will. It sounds like, like you say, they're already going to try to maybe even do that for this year, which I don't know how that's going to work exactly. Yeah, but that could be a little dicey, but yeah. That's their problem, yeah. not mine. Not mine. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but it is good to see that right now. And so that does give, you know, this... Uh, well, with where we are in this story thus far, a little bit of a happy ending. So, yeah, good luck. Yeah, and I mentioned before that the, those, those are the two you know teams I take issue with. Um, I think the other teams, like I looked at the CPT points, right? And Sherry Jennings like has a handful of CPT points, and um, Ahaku and Yuji uh, Yujix. Ujix, yeah, um, they they have uh, they have a handful of points too, and like the point disparity. Like I look at the first two players on the teams, and you know I look. When you look at, at Capcom Cup representatives and you see the country disparity, like Japan comes out on top like every time. And I don't see how you realistically penalize Japan like for having better players overall. Like, I mean, there's more people qualifying for Capcom Cup in Japan than there are for any other country. So mm -hmm. like that makes sense. Like for the first two slots on the team, like I really have no issue because I look at people like 801 Strider, Smug, uh, Knuckledoo, Punk, all those. And it they match up pretty well. Like that's like kind of the equivalent that we have in the U S and 
I'm pretty sure that, that Capcom USA reached out to a number of players, all the top players here in the U.S., to get as many stacked teams as they could. And I don't think that everyone necessarily wanted to be a part of Street Fighter League and, and devote their life to that, right? It's it's not a small commitment for these players. It's mm-hmm. a big-time thing. And and I'm sure that some people turn them down. That's my assumption, at least. Um, so I the first two slots, I don't have a lot of issue with. But when you look at the third slots, and again, like I mentioned, John Takauchi and Moki being the in the amateur sh- uh, slot, you know, like two basically Capcom Cup level players it's like Ugh. and then you have Yashuto who's another very strong uh, Urian player who's been doing great um, uh, yeah there, there's some there's some problems there but again it looks like they're really addressing them which is wonderful to see I uh, uh, I did a little research on Haku the the Fong player because he's one of the ones that we knew the least about it, uh, this is just off of memory I believe it was he, he in Street Fighter League he OCV'd a team, and I believe it was Machibo, Fujimura, and Fudo <laughs> with Fong. Oh, boy. Uh, this guy is on a team with Tokido and Gachikun, the, the current reigning champion. He's on a team with those guys. Mm. Uh, so that's that's one of the teams, and that's one of the, as we perceive, weaker teams just because we don't really know the potential for Haku yet. Yeah. But I actually went back and looked at the CPT uh, global points for both sides, for everyone that's on the North American Street Fighter League, and then calculated for everyone that's on the Japanese uh, Street Fighter League. First of all, every single one of the players on the Japan Street Fighter League, all uh, 18 of them, have points. Um, And the majority of the North Americans, I think it's 14 of them have points. But here we go. Japan, uh, their their total, everybody's points added up, 17,480 points. Uh, North America, who has Punk, who's got 3,555 of these points, North America in total has 7,595 points, almost 10,000 less than uh, than Japan. So it's like just going off of, of resumes and and the you know the numbers. This is pretty lopsided. But hey, it's Capcom giving giving us at least that statement and saying, guys, we're working on it. You're right. This is this is a little bit of a hiccup. I can take that, especially like we said before. Both of these Street Fighter League entities that as they exist over in North America and in and, and Japan are a very good thing and they have been successful in a lot of ways and I'd much rather have them than not. It's just the, the only misstep that I can see thus far was kind of melding them together in this way that doesn't really make sense for the sake of competition. I think it got caught up a little more in the we have to have an America versus or a North America versus Japan thing. Let's have that as the crescendo at the end. And it's like, yeah, but that piece of the puzzle really doesn't fit with everything else that's going on. I'm, I'm going to get into speculation territory here because uh, we took major issue with Arturo getting in uh, in the tournament over Zykes. Uh, and that not being addressed. And I looked back at this and I have no confirmation of this. No one you know, has reached out to me to like hint at this or do anything. It's complete and total speculation on my part. But if you're looking at the teams from Japan and you have an idea of how amazing they are and what they're coming in for you might look at someone like Arturo and say hey uh, we're gonna go ahead and bump you up the ladder here just so we have a fighting chance and I'm not saying that's you know the right move or anything like that but I can see that as a plausible theory out there here's my conspiracy theory hat that I'm putting on you know to 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 relay that message (laughs) to everyone Um, and I mean it makes sense at that point Right. It makes sense that like, hey, Japan really like stack the deck in their favor with some of their teams. We want to counterbalance it like only two teams make it in from both sides, as you mentioned, you know, on the USA and Japan side, like having that team with Arturo. It might really bump up the odds of the U.S. doing a heck of a lot better right then and there. 
right? So that's something I can throw out there. Again, total theory, conspiracy theory on my my part, but but there it is. Yeah, I don't. I, that's the first place that my mind goes as well. Again, no confirmation, but uh, to to a question that we probably won't ever get an official answer to. That sounds like a pretty good unofficial answer. All right, and just before we move on from this subject. I want to say that now that we know that Capcom is trying to fix this, I wonder if they might allow the U.S. teams to redraft from the entire pool of players once the competition is over. So, you know, you've got your two top teams that qualify technically, right? But we just established that that's not fair. Capcom admits it's not fair. So maybe you keep the captains who qualify for both teams and then let them you know, pick from the remaining pool of players to make the teams more balanced. Oh no! But then you're you're playing. You're, this is this is muddy water for it's sure. Super muddy, and this is a problem. I mean, it's like at this point, there's no there's no fair way to do this, right? Like, I don't see a scenario out there. I mean, like, what else is Capcom supposed to do? Like, you definitely want to pick from the players who who did well uh, and who are participating in Street Fighter League. I don't think you can grab random people outside of it uh, or anything. And so, like, how do you fix it unless you you knock down uh, some of the teams that you feel are unfair from Japan? But again, yeah. then it's unfair for them. Like, Moke and John Takauchi, like, you know, I we, we heavily fear, that, you know, if, uh, I should say, say they're unfair, what do you do to rebalance it at that point? Like, I mean, it's unfair to them at that, you know, at that stage. I, so. I think the boulders rolling down the hill as far as this iteration. They Capcom did say we're looking to to try to figure it out in this, you know, like for this Capcom Cup. I don't know that that's. I think it's already in motion, and I think that this is just a learning experience. I maybe they'll figure out a way to change it up, and that would be cool. But I'm not. I I I don't see how. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's it's a sticky situation, man. So so if they can, great. But I don't expect them to, and I would be very careful because there's a bunch of people that are thinking like they're on track to winning ninety thousand dollars or having a good shot at it. And if they helped you get there, and then you <laughs> then you kicked them off the team, uh, yeah, I, do, I, don't I don't. know. I mean, again, if I'm some of the players on here, like I realize I haven't paid my dues to you know be up there with a Bon Chan or a Daigo. You know, I mean, I don't have that inflated of an opinion of my ego, um, and. I mean, I'm happy just to be on the Street Fighter League. And, you know, I, I believe they win prize money anyway if they're on the winning team, right? So, I mean, it's, to me, like, I'm I'm just happy being there. And it's like, hey, if I'm that good next year, you know, I can be a captain or something like that. Or I can be high up there on there. Uh, and, I mean, that's how I look at it. I don't know if all the players on there will look at it that way. We'll see. Um, I'm sure social media would be totally fine oh, yes. with that as well. <laughs> social media is always <laughs> well, rational. Social media yeah. is not going to be fine with anything that plays out. So there's that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, social media is not good. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I will just list off like really quickly what some of the teams could potentially look like. And that would be uh, Knuckle Dew, Samurai, 801 Strider on a team. Um, there's a lot of ways you could break this down. But um, like Idom, Smug, and Punk on a team. You look at that and, and you go, okay, that those are players that could go toe-to-toe with pretty much any team out there and have a shot at winning. You know, I might not take them as the favorite, but they have a very legitimate shot at competing if you're going to keep these other teams intact that came over from Japan. Um, And, I mean, again, I know it's not fair to some of the other players on there. I don't know how it would break down, but, again... It's a draft, right? It's a redraft at that point. You've got just as fair of a shot as anyone else, even if you like, you know, you were said like you were gonna be able to compete at Capcom Cup. It's like, well, yeah, that change, this sucks. But you if you're that good, like a captain's gonna pick you. 
right? And, and I mean, it kind of comes down to that argument. If you ask me, I know, again, there's a lot of problems with that. But I mean, if this is your solution, it's like, I, that's how I see it, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, you know, I'm a, I, I definitely, I think there's a player or two that would take issue with that if they were left off. Uh, some of the names that are jumping up at me right now. Um, but I'm, you know, <laughs> going to let those players uh leave them unnamed, you know, cause I don't know how people are going to react to it, but that is a potential solution that has a lot of problems. So yeah. there it is. <laughs> All right. So actually moving on from this one, uh, I want to get into some rumors on the internets. Um, Marvel versus Capcom infinite. Uh, had a great video put together by Matt McMuscles and Maximilian a little ways back. And we ran a story about it. And a lot of these quotes came from anonymous sources, so you need to take this how you will. Um, but they quoted actually Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite's budget as being a single season of Street Fighter V. And back when that rumor actually first came out, like the team behind the scenes here at Event Hubs like looked at that rumor and said, nah, no. That's, that's, I, I mean, it's possible. It's like anything's possible. Right. But I mean, that's ridiculous. If you ask me, uh, you look at the games like story mode, uh, you look at all the characters that got in there again, we, I think everyone universally agrees that Marvel versus Capcom infinite had <laughs> some big problems, probably the budget being one of them, but a single mm. season of street fighter five, that's like, you know, that's six characters and you know, a couple things. It's like the, the, the juxtaposition there in terms of like what kind of content you're getting. I don't care like kind of like what budget it's at. I personally don't see that as being a reality. I thought it was interesting that they included that in the video. Um, I'm not as familiar with Matt McMuscles. Uh, he seems like a pretty reputable YouTube guy. Uh, obviously, Maximilian is very familiar with most of the people here in the fighting game community. Max does great work. I was a little shocked that they included that, but I think it was also under the caveat that here's some rumors from the internet, right? Like, here's some stuff we heard. Um, there it yeah. is. So... I don't know what to. I don't know where to go with that because, like you say, it, it it is at its core right now just something sort of floating around the internet, and it does seem to make sense when you look and you know with retrospect at the situation. It's like, well, Marvel versus Capcom Infinite didn't do too well, and there was these issues and such. And it's like, well, that that would be a way of explaining it. They didn't have enough of a budget, but that's a pretty. I mean, I don't know. You'd have to see. You'd have to see the numbers for Street Fighter V and see what the, what it means to be a season of Street Fighter V financially versus what it means that you know all this other stuff that we just don't really have access to. So it's kind of hard to 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 get anything grounded from that. Yeah, it, it, it's it seemed that we we saw a lot of rumors about what happened with Marvel Infinite, and I actually have a phrase I've been throwing around quite a bit here with the team, and that is success has many parents, and then failure is an orphan. And the basic thing is like people do not want to own up to it when things go wrong. You know, it's like, oh, that was, you know, Jim's problem down the hall. I don't know what happened there, you know, and but if things go well, they're like, oh, yeah, like Jim. Yeah, he was part of it. But me, I was amazing in this process. And that's kind of how stuff goes. Right. It, it's who wants to own up and like, you know, walk through dog poop, basically, <laughs> and just like, yep. oh, yeah. Well, um, but um they do mention in the video that Capcom was low on money at the time. And we know for a fact, actually, that this part was true. Uh, at least, you know, Capcom being low on money because um, we ran stories actually about them having trouble navigating the next generation consoles at that time, which would have been the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. That Capcom uh, did not have a lot of money doing that because they released that, that statement to their investors. That stuff was out there publicly. Um, and it was just like, ooh, they're, they're running on a, you know, kind of a rough thing here. Now, when Marvel Infinite was in development was actually something Capcom was very cagey about uh, publicly and then privately. 
Um, I have a little bit of behind the scenes information here uh, that I've strongly went with over the years, and that was that this game did not start off as a Marvel versus Capcom title. It started off as a Capcom All Stars title. Uh, that's the rumor I have heard behind the scenes from a pretty reputable person, so to speak, and and piecing some things together. Right? They didn't outright say this was a case, but there it is. Um, so yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of flaws with what they did in the video, but but some of the more interesting things that they came up with, at least I think potential flaws, right? I I don't want to call mm-hmm. them out too much because hey, maybe it's all 100% accurate, but this kind of clues our listeners into the process that we go through behind the scenes when we're trying to verify information that we post up on the website. And I'm not saying we get it perfect. We mess up, you know, time and time again. It, it sucks. We we really do try to avoid messing up, but our track record is also pretty decent. We don't typically post stuff that's completely bunk and put it up there as fact and say, hey, you know, go for it type thing. We usually will, will you know, label it as a rumor or some other thing that we're hearing and try to put it in that kind of context. Uh, but I digress. Uh, some of the other stuff they heard out there that I found interesting was that Dante was copy pasted from Marvel 3, uh, among mm. other characters. Now, I didn't look at this one too closely. Uh, we do know that Capcom has done this with Street Fighter Cross Tekken and 2 Street Fighter 4. Um, yeah. But that was obvious. Yes. And this is something that, well, again, you can look back on it and say, well, oh, yeah, because Dante had these issues with his visuals and the idea of taking the old and just putting it into the new with a copy paste that sounds lazy, right? It's like, oh, well, that's a that's a track that could easily lead to, to problems. And, hey, there were problems, so that kind of checks out here. Um, maybe it was, but I don't think anyone was really saying that when it happened. Comparing it to Street Fighter Cross Tekken, it was obvious, like, oh, yeah, this is a lot of the same stuff mm-hmm. reused. And that was okay because of what it was. And it also wasn't a jump from one console to another, right? It was... So I don't know. It's a little, a little bit of apples and oranges, but but maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then apparently uh, this one just cracked me up. I never actually heard this one before here, uh, so take it as you will. But apparently the ugly models, uh, what you just referenced, were discussed with the higher ups at Capcom, but they brushed it off, saying no one would notice. <laughs> yeah, I believe. No, 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 no. Yeah. This is a huge thing that. In the past, it might have been like it's Capcom or the the higher ups living in a chapter or two uh, that that's like antiquated, a little too old, and they weren't ready to jump into twenty. What was this? Seventeen, twenty sixteen, when this was being uh, showcased and such. I guess it was twenty seventeen. Um, and and the way that the community and the way the community digests and processes information has evolved. I believe this. Uh, uh, pretty strongly just out of my gut like just surveying the landscape and looking at it like yeah they didn't think that it would be a problem because they were operating on an old set of rules an antiquated set of rules when it comes to how do you deal with the public what do they care about but that stuff changes and it changed out from under them and because otherwise like now now if you were to release that uh, video now that we've learned these lessons you go oh yeah there's a huge obvious glaring bright yellow mustard stain on your shirt uh and the job interview that you're about to go into is you know is about presentation like there's no way this is going to check out right but back then uh, and and you could argue that some people some development companies maybe would have been aware of this but capcom wasn't obviously uh it wasn't as much of a thing i can see that that checks out as far as my books go all right so john you say that checks out but dude how how do you explain ken's face in street fighter 5 then <laughs> the same yeah, thing know, that came know, out from a terrible. year before. It's terrible. It's like, no, oh, shh. 
shoot, I can't argue against that because, man, like, kids <laughs> glaring grin at you. It, oh, it, and Ibuki when she takes oh, her mask oh, off? Dude, <laughs> I, I love Born Free's skit with Kin. Like, he, like, I still have Born Free's. Remind me what happens in that oh, one. I remember laughing, but I don't remember I, the I specifics. think it's a job interview or something like that, or, like, he's doing, like, an insurance claim or something, but he does Kin's incredibly, like, uh, just the, the facial expressions Mark gets in there. They're so hilarious. I love his skits. Wearing set. bananas on his yeah. head. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I digress. Um, anyway, yeah. they, they heavily imply in the video that Marvel was not happy with the game, uh, particularly the reviews, uh, the reception from the public, and ba they basically wanted to move on from it while Capcom had some interest in keeping the game going. They cite specific examples in here, um, like... Uh, uh, I think one of the examples they, they mentioned is like Mark Mann said that Capcom was very supportive of having Marvel Infinite at Evo that year. And Marvel was like, they say that company stood in the way of them doing that, right? And so mm. the heavy implication there is, is that Marvel's like, yeah, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We, we've seen enough of Chun-Li's face out there. We don't want any more. And I mean, again, when you're seeing like a game that your characters are very important to you, right? I mean, Marvel's IP is a big deal. And well, they, they're more like functions that are important to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, but and you're seeing them like, hey, our characters are on meth, you know, kind of thing. And I know that was mostly the Capcom side of things and less the Marvel side, but that is still a product that you have your name all over, and are, it's a yes. big deal, and and you don't want that. And and so I get why Marvel's like, hey, we're gonna pull the plug on this. You guys should have done a better job from the get go. We're fine with it. Get it out of here, you know. Um, and I, I think that's really what happened. That is one thing that um, I don't know how much we've reported on that individually, but that is one part we have heard other things behind the scenes that matches up you know quite well with those statements so that's one thing yeah the floating around idea of marvel being kind of the the big boss simply because they would be right they're they're marvel mm -hmm. everyone knows where they're at right now and how big that they are and and how for capcom this is like one of the biggest things they do is release another entry into the mvc franchise but for marvel it's tuesday you know, and, and they don't need to take risks and they don't need to have any kind of black eyes or mustard stains at all on their shirts because they're frying much bigger fish in a lot bigger ponds all over the place. So it's easy for them to just Thanos snap this out of existence or, or whatever to make it go away because they're not, there's not a whole lot riding on Marvel and if it's uh, on this particular uh, game and if it's like, well, it might be a little bit of a bad thing, then they go, ah, well, then just get rid of it. Who cares? Yeah. So... Uh, and and I don't know that, but that seems to again sort of fit the 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 picture, and that would be sort of like the emerging personality of the Marvel figure that is you know in this in this like Capcom and Marvel and community discussion is back and forth. So yeah, I can I can buy that as well. Yeah, so I, I am poking some holes in the video, but overall I think it is a very well produced video, very high quality. Again, Matt McMuscles, if you look up his YouTube uh, YouTube channel, you'll find it right there. I highly do recommend checking it out because it is very nice to hear the history of how Marvel Infinite failed and a number of things. They do a great job producing it overall. Um, so anyway, and there's there's more to the story too. Um, you can go and look at the Marvel versus Capcom category on our website. You know, just find a Marvel Infinite story, and you can see all the stories we've ever done about that you know the game um it's a good way to look back over kind of like what went wrong and what you know went well with the game it's it's unfortunate that a few things can go wrong um maybe more than a few but you know what i mean and, and have mm -hmm. it really you know take your game apart because they did a number of things right like most people praised the gameplay of the game and said this was very new and innovative and awesome um but you you mess up on a few key elements and people won't let you forget it and they won't buy your game so there it is well and it's key elements that you don't even realize are 
are necessarily going to be as key as you think because back in the day it's like graphics didn't matter as much or maybe it's maybe it's more that graphics people didn't realize that the potential well the potential wasn't there you know when you're doing like you know 16-bit graphics it's like if i can tell what it is then who cares you know but uh uh we're not in that era anymore and now this has become a huge thing almost overnight, depending on how you kind of measure the timeline. And, and suddenly it becomes not just a, 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 you know, an optional box. It's like if this box isn't checked, your game's going down, despite having a lot of really good and important boxes checked elsewhere. This one's a make or break. Yeah. I, I will mention that the uh, history of Marvel versus Capcom, inf- or not Infinite, but Marvel versus Capcom as a franchise is certainly not all the way written yet. We, we have discussed this on the podcast. Um, there's zero reason for them to not try it again with a Marvel versus Capcom 4. There, there, that should be coming. I don't want to jinx it, so I'll knock on wood here a little bit. But um, uh, at some point in time, we very firmly believe that that entry is coming back to the franchise. I don't think Marvel is so pissed off at them. Uh, based on statements you and I have both seen on Twitter and other places, it seems like Marvel and Capcom still have a pretty good relationship. And and at some point, again, I think they're going to revisit this. Uh, if they're not already doing so, which you and I, uh, I think, both believe are, are, is currently happening. So. Well, you got a certain a certain Peter Rosas that's now working for Marvel in that department. Got his name on that Spider-Man game, so we'll see what's happening. Yeah, there it is. So now, uh, Momochi over the weekend he won the Super Premier uh, Asia tournament uh, over in Japan at the Tokyo Game Show. Uh, big ups to him. He had a great run with Colleen. Um, he's kind of known for playing a lot of characters, Zeku and other things like that. But every time I watched him on stream, he was just playing Colleen. Uh, did a great job with her. Uh, Colleen's kind of like one of those like maybe top 15 type characters in this game where not a lot of people are playing her a ton, but you're generally able to see Colleen players perform at the highest of levels. And this one won a super premier tournament, but he won it and he did not win a lot of money. And I want you to set up the story here for our listeners because you've been following it closely. Uh, what's going on? Okay. So, uh, well, it's actually Justin that tackled this story for us, um, but I've been going back over and, and trying to, to get out the juicy bits and such. And uh, I guess you kind of got a flashback to a few years ago and the whole situation that I think most of us are familiar with, with Japan, its gambling laws, and how that has affected tournament play, pro gaming, uh, what it means to be a pro gamer, what's okay as far as paying someone out for participating in a tournament. And um, that's all been pretty muddy waters. And so uh, they've come out with the, is it the Jesu Pro License, which kind of circumvents the, the laws that have been traditionally in place that have stopped gamers' uh, abilities to, to receive money uh, as prizes when, like in the traditional tournament setting where all of the entrants come in and they put their $10 into the pot and then that pot grows based on how many entrants come in and then the top you know winners, whether it's top three, top eight, however you want to pay out, uh, get, get part of that pot, right? And that has come up against the traditional Japanese laws for gambling. So they come out with this uh, pro license that if you get it, then uh, you're able to uh, basically participate in events in that same way that kind of like how we do in the West and how a lot of the rest of the world sort of does it. Okay, well, most of the Japanese players are on board with this. Momochi is not. And now Momochi has devoted his life. He and Choco Blanca, his wife, have um, 
put together Shinobism, which is this uh, this entity, this business devoted to basically growing fighting games, uh, the community, helping new players learn, and then setting up events, and, and just kind of getting things continuing to move and shake and evolve. And his hesitations with this pro-license is, as far as I can tell, he doesn't say it's flat out wrong or bad, but he's worried that those, like the powers that end up being because of this, essentially get too much power in the way of determining what's a pro gamer, who gets these licenses, how are they able to, it's just too much control over the competitive fighting game scene in a sense, and Momochi is not down with it. He's afraid of this idea. Let me, let me flesh this in because I actually just recently read this article too. Um, this came from uh, Junya a few years back, um, where Momochi had put his thoughts online and uh, Junya mm-hmm. had uh, translated them, and so lost in translation is often a thing we mention here so just you know uh, be careful with that with everything in that in mind but um, Momochi from the get-go he admits that having a business aspect aspect to the fighting game community is important um, mm-hmm. so he's not against companies like like Jesu um, which stands for the Japanese esports Union uh, coming in here and and doing this kind of things um, where he goes with an issue is that they didn't consult the fighting game community enough. And he, Momochi firmly believes that the fighting game community should have a bigger voice in the room to help prevent bad situations from happening. And one of the examples that was put out there was basically what happens if a brand new player enters a tournament, like an unknown player, basically at this point, um, and they, you know, they win it all and, you know, they're up for $50,000 in prize money. Well, they're only allowed legally to claim 500 of that. And it kind of messes with the whole uh, way that the fighting game community has been established over the years, where before they would be allowed to kind of claim all that prize money if it was done in a certain way. But Japan has very strict anti-gambling laws, which have, have prevented some forms of sponsorship over tournaments. Uh, Topanga mm-hmm. has infamously got around that one. I don't know if infamous is the right word, but they have gotten around that and a number of other tournaments have gotten around it. And there are very certain rules and other things you have to follow to get around it. And basically the Japanese esports union has gotten around it by doing the pro player licenses and whatnot. But as far as I could see, that was kind of Momochi's main takeaway with that, where it was like, here are the pitfalls of their approach uh, and that's what I don't like because it messes with some of the the foundation of what we have here in the fighting game community. Right. And so the result of him not having that pass, though that that esports uh, pro license, was that the winner for Tokyo Game Show um, or this this uh, super premiere at Tokyo Game Show was supposed to walk away with uh, fifty million yen, which is about forty six thousand three hundred and sixty five American dollars. Uh, Momochi ended up walking away with, uh, what was it here? Nine, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, a total of $925 when you take the, the, it was like 500 and some change that they actually gave him, and then plus a pro gaming monitor or something like that, uh, that was, you know, estimated at a 400 bucks or so. So he walks away with less than a thousand bucks in prizes when it could have been almost 50k that's that means like this is a hill this guy is dying on right mm-hmm. now you know he's fighting for this cause and it's interesting to me because like i say i i don't know every player's individual situation i know the six players that we mentioned earlier that are the captains of the um street fighter league those all have to have passes or, or these esports licenses <clears throat> in order to uh to be those captains uh it seems like there i haven't heard of anybody else uh, especially no one else um of momochi's status 
this in the fighting game community, being as vehemently against this idea uh, as he is. Yeah, and let so me, it's, it's let me add in a, a few of the people that are partnered up with Jesu. Um, and notable FGC members include Daigo, Sako, Bonchan, Mago, Moke, Nemo, Gachakun, Goichi, da- John Takauchi, Itabashi Zangief, Kazunoko, and many more. You guys can see that's pretty much a who's who, uh, you know, the Street mm-hmm. Fighter Five scene. And it's not just those players, it's also these companies like Capcom, Bandai Namco, SNK, Arxis, Sony, Sega, and more. So I look at that, I look at that list and I go, dude, Momochi, you're really going against the green on this one. And again, I understand that that Jesu, the Japanese esports union, has some problems with their approach, but damn, dude, are you really taking a stand against a lot of people who have jumped in on this one? Uh, and, and exactly yeah, it's it's kind of wild to me yeah and and then in reading the translated and all that you know all the hesitation and caution and caveat that comes with you know it's a translation um but but in reading that he comes out and he and he goes like his very first thing is my opinion first of all i would like to say that i am not completely against the idea of a license system and he says that or something like that a couple of times like he 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 restates that he's not it doesn't sound in in his verbiage here like he's really all that hardcore against it but then his actions i mean he's he's fifty thousand dollars and then again when he won um what was it capcom cup in 2014 i hear that there was a significant reduction in in what he was able to take from that uh and and that he's like something like a hundred thousand dollars or close to it in the hole because he won't adopt this license um and 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 don't i'm not certain on all that so but the point is he's not getting a lot of money so that he can well like i say die on this hill and and it seems like nobody else is on his side with this and then and then also He's like, it might be okay, but I'm just not totally sold yet, right? Like, that seems to be his approach. I'm not totally sold. There might be some issues, but I don't even see him directly saying in, in this essay uh, uh, what the the big main monster, potential monster of this all is, outside of some basic ideas. Like, I, I get it. Uh, like, it, maybe this is too much power that they could run away with. But, like, what does that translate to? What's the example? Yeah, there? I mean, the big thing is that they, they didn't consult with the fighting game community enough. Like, that's really it. It's like the fighting game community has built up something really wonderful and nice in his eyes. Um, and, and he sees the value in that, you know, having a business behind it. But they didn't consult with members, high up members, I guess, of the FGC to, to put this stuff into place. And he feels like it's very flawed. Or at least there's a number of flaws with it. That is the heavy impression I've got from reading through mm-hmm. his stuff. It's not exactly. Does he say what the flaws directly are, though? Or is it just that there could be these flaws? Um because I, I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I read through it once. Uh, it, it's it, it, like it, it, this. This is kind of putting together the pieces here. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't think Momochi is necessarily a top end writer. Also, again, you know, might be stuff that didn't get translated very well. Oh, but he it says is, as much. He said this took me a long time to write, and I don't normally do this kind of a thing. So bear with yeah. me. But yeah, exactly. It's more of a philosophical difference. That that would be the best way I could say it. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, again, there's not a lot of cr- concrete examples of this is messed up and that's not working. I did cite the one example about a player entering a tournament, other things like that. I don't know if that came directly from Momochi or kind of people that agreed with him, uh, but that would be uh, what I've heard. It's certainly a story, and then maybe someday we go back and and there's a there's a movie written or a movie created and a story written about Momochi and how he was the last one and he stopped it and he went against the grain and he was in the courts and they fought the long fight, you know, and and it turned out to be a really good thing. But 
considering one that the opinions of all of these other players that are very much ingrained into the fighting game community they know what's going on they they've been in a lot of the same arenas as as momochi has and they sign off on it that doesn't mean it's good but that means like well you got a sample of people that know what's up that i would say are definitely professionals and they're okay with it so that's something to stand on and uh and, and like I, I guess what I'm asking for from someone like Momochi, or I guess from Momochi, since he seems to be the only one in this camp right now that, that that's you know very visible, is like okay, you can you can have your stance, but I need a your your actions are huge right here with like saying no to fifty thousand dollars and such, and I don't see where the argument comes in to to back up this severe of of action and this severe of like a stance against it. And I mean he's free to do what he wants. But it also kind of makes me kind of sad, you know, like, oh, Momoji, take take your money, man. Yeah, I mean, I look at it and I say, why not take that $46,000 that you left on the table? Or I don't know where that's going to go to now and hire someone to fight the, the, the issues that you have here with the Jesu organization. You know, and, and I mean, even if you need to go that route, I'm not even play with the house's money. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if you need to go that route. Like they they have some documented cases of of concerns people have brought up to them and they've addressed it. And, and I, I don't look at this as the big, bad, you know, organization right now, I again, Again, I'm coming into it with a light amount of knowledge here. Um, sure. There's a lot of stuff that I'm unable to research and to look into because of, you know, uh, language like separation type stuff. Um, but I have heard cases of them uh, adapting to circumstances and whatnot. And a lot of big companies are signed up with these guys. Uh, these are companies that are major IP holders, are major businesses over in Japan. Um Big deal companies, especially for you know a company that's doing pro gamer licenses, right? They want to have some kind of working relationship with them, and they do. And so I look at that, and I go, there's probably a lot of things they're doing right and just people kind of fundamentally disagree with. But what I actually go back to is something that happened um, in our fighting game community with the Capcom Pro Tour coming in. And, and some people were just hardcore against the Pro Tour and still are, for that matter, in esports in general, right? That's pretty much what the Pro Tour mm -hmm. is. It's esports. Like, there's no other really way to kind well, of... Well, that's what this is. If you back up far enough, it's like, it's too much esports. It's too much business. It's too many suits getting too much power. I get that. But you have to have your, your individual examples of, like, this is where it's wrong. This is where it's right. And here is the fine line of, of uh, traversing through those things and avoiding the bad. But I'm sorry. No, no, good point. So some people have been pretty disenfranchised with the FGC's movement towards, you know, this esports type thing, right? And that's because we've been so professional in the community. Like a lot of people don't, you know, they're not allowed to swear on streams anymore and stuff like that. That that ruins the hype. That ruins, you know, what we've built up type thing. And it's, it might be a simple thing, you know, for us, like, but for other people, it's like, no, that's, that's part of freaking who we were. And we're getting rid of our culture because people are paying us money now. We are, we are okay with ditching who we were because we have better payouts. I'm fine with that. Like I realize that uh, if I want to get paid more money uh, and you know my job requires me to wear a suit to work, I'm freaking wearing a suit to work. That's what I'm doing, right? Like if, you know, t-shirt and jeans are not, is not okay, then, you know, I'm not wearing that, right? Uh, so I take that trade anytime, but I do know that for some people that has been a big issue and that does seem to be a part of what Momochi is complaining about. That Well, it all comes down to nuance though. Mm -hmm. It's because the first thing, I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but it's like, if they want me to change something to do it, then I'm, for, I'm down and I'm like, okay, well then that statement in and of itself 
a lot of people aren't down with it because it's so broad. It's not nuanced. It's if they want me to change, I'm going to do whatever they want me to change. It's like, no, but if their change is a practical and and an appropriate one, like you need to come dressed, you know, nicely to work and you need to have on, you know, a nice suit because that's what our rules are. And here's why that that's the rule. It's the rule because, you know, we, you have uniformity at work and, and you're, you're respectable and we can, this is a way that we can make sure that everybody does this and it's good for everyone in a certain sense and they can articulate that then you go yeah that's just fine if you, but but it's not like well they have the absolute power to do whatever they want at any time and they can make us do any goofy thing and and it could just be so that their bottom line gets you know so that they get more money at the end of the day and, and you know the absolute power comes in and corrupts absolutely that is an issue but it comes down to specifics it comes down to specific ideas this is okay that's not okay here's why here's why it isn't and that's the level of conversation you have to be on when you're talking about these things that's what i'm kind of asking momochi for and that's what i would ask anybody to that that's going to engage in this they can't just say i hate esports because esports sucks it's like well why and how is it happening and how much good is esports doing and how do you put the right pieces of each parts of this puzzle together to make something even better. Okay, so um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Obviously, uh, I'm a very big fan of esports and moving towards a more professional environment. I want to take my family to events. Having a more family friendly environment is great for me. So I digress. Uh, I'm playing, you know, the other side now, and I'm saying, okay. So we do this, right? We, we sign up with esports and we are all in suit and ties and all that kind of stuff and no cursing, all that other stuff. And everyone falls in line and there's more payouts and stuff like that. But now we've given away all that power. I laugh, power, haha. Um, but all that hmm. stuff we built up as a grassroots you know, community over the years. And now that's in the hands of these other people. And now they, you know, so it starts off as a slippery slope, right? That is, you know, yes. we, we go down there, they have this and it's fine now. Like it suits, it's not cursing, but tomorrow it's like, well, you have to cut your hair the certain way, or you have to do this and you have to do that. I've operated in the business realm a long time. I'm okay with all this stuff, but I understand the people who very firmly disagree with this. And actually, I'm, I'll shout out uh, Hungrybox here, who I'm a huge fan of, um, because people were really harping on Nintendo for not having more support over their, you know, Smash, you know, scene, which is uh, oddly enough kind of changing here with their like European tour stuff they put out there, which blew everyone's minds. But Anyway, my point is, is Hungrybox was basically saying, look, we've already built this. We don't need Nintendo, right? This doesn't have to happen. And so there's a very notable and big name jumping out there and saying grassroots is fine for Smash. And and this is, you know, it's it's great as it is. Why mess with it type thing? And I'm sure he would be very happy. I know Hungrybox has also said, hey, Nintendo, get your butt in here. But but it can work both ways and I, I see both sides of it I just I do tend to side with a more esportsy type thing because it's like I'd love to have million dollar payouts for the players I'd love for more people to be able to do this for a living um, because it enables a higher uh, um, level of competition and and devotion into this if you have to work a full-time job 801 Strider is a great example he works a full-time job so does Nemo and they have to juggle their professional career as this I would rather see better players because they're able to devote their entire lives to this and and just live you know live the dream so to speak right it's I, I don't want to have to see Michael Jordan at a grocery store you know begging you know stuff out there because he can't you know juggle an NBA career and that at the same time I'm happy to see Michael Jordan just devoted to the NBA because the level of what he brings to the table then is awesome and I want the same for the fighting game community that's my argument but again I wanted to paint both sides Yes, Michael Jordan needs more money. No, <laughs> yes. uh, so and and you're right, and I and I agree with you in that I tend to lean more towards like the the 
esports, we, there's a lot for us to gain from going over there. Uh, this comes down to just basic like black and white debates that people have over every freaking controversial thing that happens in and out in and out of fighting games. But if it's just like it's grassroots or it's esports, and I'm gonna make a side with one and that's it, you're way too. You need more nuance. You need more example, and and you need more specifics because. There's good and bad on both sides, and that's going to be the case in virtually every single you know debate where there's two sides, mm -hmm. and and you have to have. It, it comes down to detail. Okay, so here are the things that we're afraid of in esports. We don't want X, Y, and Z to happen because, and and the reason why we don't want that is because we have this value over here in the grassroots side, and we want to maintain that. But we really would like, you know, the, 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 the higher payouts and the ability to just focus on gaming for pro gamers. Like, that's really attractive to us. So let's have a dialogue, a back and forth with as much detail as needed so that we can get the good of this side, the good of that side, and minimize the bad of both sides. Don't have these overarching bills pass through, you know, like, like Congress or whatever to, that, that leave so much room for, oh, and by the way, if someone wants to come over and assume this power vacuum that no one addressed, then they can. And then all of a sudden you have a problem just know what you want as as best you can articulate that and have a dialogue until we get there easier said right here on a podcast yeah, yeah. than done yeah. but that's the approach that we need to have and we need to get away from i'm on this team so then everything on this team is what i want it's like no yeah you can't do that it's not getting anyone anywhere uh, i started event hubs to get out of corporate america and I'm happy I did. And uh, corporate America brings all sorts of different problems when you are involved in it at that level. And it's uh, it's it's interesting. Um, there's no clear cut path here, and I can see both sides of it. Uh, you know, you, I already said what side I'm more on, but. Uh, it's it's hard. This stuff is hard. But uh, uh, I digress. I, let me move on here just a little bit and say that um, JESU, the Japanese esports organization, it looks like one of the core parts of their mission has worked out pretty darn well. And we're seeing very good payouts in Japan now. Like where it mostly used to be for pride points, like you are seeing legitimate, very strong prize pools now, which it happened here and there, but man, it was hard to do. Now it is not. And, and it's like we've got the, the Intel Open coming up, which is a quarter of a million dollars. Um, we just had the this event, you know, um, where Momochi could have taken 50. And I think it was 90,000 or something like that collectively on the line, um, somewhere around there. Um, there's a lot of good stuff happening in the space. And I look at this organization, Jesu, and I say that is a they are a big reason why. See, I believe Momochi. I trust him. I think this guy is probably pretty smart. He's he, he clearly he, is. Yeah, he obviously he's got Shinobism. He's he's smart enough to 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 be as good at video games as he is, and and analyze other people and their thought process. Like this guy has something valid to say. That's why I want more detail from him. Because like he might be coming from a real legitimate place. I want to know the specifics of it. Yeah, and he's fighting this battle in the court of public opinion. I, I mentioned before that he should take you know the the forty six thousand dollars and go hire someone. Well, his out is um and this was kind of amazing he just won the biggest japanese street fighter 5 tournament of the year uh and and this news story is up on our site it's up on a few other websites this has become a thing and it's something that jesu i don't think can entirely ignore narc and capcom like where does this money go now like what the heck even happens with it uh it's kind of an interesting scenario he's created and he has shined a ton of light on the situation now um like i said i would have went about it a different way gotten a license invested that money back in and kept some of it like you know twenty thousand dollars probably would have gotten someone hired here to get professional help with them and get it changed and then you know you keep the other 20k that would have been cool um but 
I'm also not saying that Momochi's approach won't work too. And it's an interesting tactic, and he's getting a lot of publicity for himself, for his own, you know, adventures and other stuff. And I go, eh, you know, I, I, I can't fault the guy too much because what he's doing is working very clearly, uh, at least to some degree. Um, so there it is. Man, is that kind of a messy situation, but uh, it's definitely interesting. One last thing to say on it, and we can move on. And it is that now that I think about it in retrospect, like I said, Justin did the, the story on that. And I have a bone to pick with Justin now because the banner for that story should have been Momochi's face on Joker from the Dark Knight walking away from the giant pile of burning money like a total badass because <laughs> it's all about sending a message. Yeah. Ugh, missed opportunities. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's definitely something we get on our people about. Like we're like, hey, you messed up on the banner because it should have been this, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. So moving right along. Did I do that right? Is that how you transition topics? I mean, sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I wanted to get to this little segment we've been doing uh, last couple of weeks where I just kind of focus on one little thing that I've been doing in Street Fighter V that has helped me level up my game and that I feel like I can articulate and maybe share with the rest of you guys. And this week, it is uh, our favorite character ever, Rashid. We don't talk about him enough. Uh, focus on him. The specifics of it is what you do when you've cornered a Rashid. Ten points! Because unlike most all other characters in this game, Rashid actually kind of seems to get a buff when he's in the corner because of the way his jump out or like fake jump out works. Um, it's very frustrating and it can be that you've like done all this work to get this very difficult to fight character into the corner and your reward is, well now you're in a mix up because he's going to either jump out or get some pressure on you and side switch and you've done the work for him and he's he Rashid's all over you. Anyways, what I have found, and it's, it's fairly simple, is uh, and this kind of piggybacks on what we talked about last week, which was caging and just stepping back and letting someone hang themselves when they're in the corner because they are afraid and, and the anxiety level goes up and, and you can just sit back and, and let them uh, make a misstep instead of taking your rightful you know pressure that you've earned. Uh, it's very tempting to do that, but sometimes not the best call. And it's especially not the best call a lot of times against Rashid. So what I've specifically been doing you knock him down, you get him in the corner, whatever. He's there, you play the cage game. You take a step back and you're about mm, about at sweep distance. Now, Rashid still has options here, right? He there's a there's a couple of things that he can do. But you know and I know and the Rashid player knows even if they're not thinking that they're going to go up off the wall 99 times out of 100 because it's so good. And especially if you're talking about like earlier levels in the, uh, you know, like online and such, maybe, maybe Gachakun or John Takuchi are, Hell, are not going to. Earlier levels. I, I see this every single time. <laughs> I see this with every freaking Rashid player. They hover around. They're like threatening that they're going to jump off the wall because if they do it correctly, they negate every single advantage that you have with cornering them. Oh, good. The corner. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so I, I was trying to give high-level Rashid's the benefit of the what doubt. What are you doing? But, uh, that doesn't exist. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, there are, let me make that clear. There are high-level Rashid's who are great players, but they never deserve the benefit of the doubt. That just yeah. never. So anyway, but yes. So my character, Nikali, has a DP, and he has a, a particularly good DP for this situation because it moves so far horizontally in addition to being vertical that I uh, have the advantage of just sitting there, and as soon as they leave the ground, it's DPville. And if you do it fast enough, you can do it before they're able to uh, disengage from the wall and, and come off of there, and then they're right back in the same situation, and they look dumb, and it's great. But I realize not 
every character has that. In fact, most don't. So if you have a DP, the idea is put Rashid in this situation and then forget about everything else that he can possibly do. Yeah, maybe once in a while the Rashid's gonna like, well, just walk up and throw you and, and you might not be ready for that, who knows. But most of the time they're going to maybe hit a button or two and then jump. The jump is coming, man. And it's like gonna be a vertical one instead of a forward jump because it's just, it's so strong. So knowing that, it's the, the chances are so much in your favor that this is gonna happen. And when you know that, it's like that becomes a huge tool that goes in your favor, part of your arsenal. So for me, I just wait for them to go up and do a heavy DP and get them. Uh, but a lot of other characters are going to have to do something different. That might just mean a forward jump. Um, I could jump in actually. There, there's um, there's a magic spot on screen here where uh, normally when you have a, a character cornered with most of the cast members in the game, you generally want to get pretty close to up in their face. Maybe not all the way. It depends on your character, but pretty close to it, right? Well, with mm -hmm. Rashid, if you get in that spot, he's going to go off the wall um, with his down angle jump and hit medium kick and be plus on block. And of course, if he hits you, you're you're dead. You know, GG's, mm -hmm. you've, you've probably lost the game right there. Ugh. Um, but um, <laughs> there is a magic spot that's about... It's definitely several steps out of the corner. So basically that you can anticipate uh, when Rashid is going to go off the wall and do the low angle jump. That's easy enough to, to do in training mode. Um, again, maybe we, uh, make sure when you jump off the wall, you're doing uh, down forward, you know, uh, because he has a high jump and he has a low jump, right? Mm -hmm. And then hit medium kick on your way down. You know, you got it right there. Uh, that's the setup you're going to see from most Rashid players uh, when you corner them. I don't care how good they are. Uh, the high option is not very good. Uh, most of the other options are, you know, they're whatever. Uh, they do help him, but that's the main one you're going to have to deal with. And then what you want to do from there is you want to go ant uh, air to air. Uh, and because and anti-airing that, like if you have a DP like Nikali, there you go. You know, you can do that and definitely on reaction. But that move is very uh, janky. It's very fast. And if you mess it up, you are in a horrible situation it's so, a crush counter in the corner Rashid oh right? my goodness uh, so Manat actually has a very good uh, relatively good anti-air with crouching heavy punch but it's slow and there's no invincibility on it and I don't even try to go for that in most cases because the, the hit hurt box situation is heavily in Rashid's advantage with that scenario uh, but with this I do a jumping heavy kick and I knock his ass like either uh, he gets out of the corner and it really sucks because it feels like a free escape he only took 90 damage right um, but it's certainly a hell of a lot better than nothing and it's certainly a heck of a lot better than actually cornering yourself or, or getting hit and basically dying uh that's what mm -hmm. rashid is looking for he's looking for you to to pick the wrong option which is the right option and pretty much every freaking other matchup in the game but against rashid it is the wrong one so many times so um just try to find an angle where you can you can kick him out of the air or do something where he can't really hit you because you do not want to be anywhere near that guy's hitbox when he's jumping off the corner uh because you're a dead person generally speaking if he gets it yeah so the the short of all of this the basic idea is when you've cornered Rashid, don't go in. Instead, let him do the jump that you're almost certain he's going to do. Because when you're almost certain someone's going to do something, that's a huge advantage for you. So hang back and wait for that and then take advantage of it. Because if you're not looking for everything else, it's pretty easy to see, okay, there's the jump and here we do our, our counter to it. Whatever that happens to be for your character, you might really have to mess around with this a little bit in training mode to find this the best little spot and the best, like if it's an air-to-air -air or if you have a DP like Nikali's, whatever that is. But the point is, so many of us have so many times tried to play regular Street Fighter against Rashid in the corner, and that's, that's not the answer for this particular character. So 
take a step back, survey the situation, remember, fall back on the idea that he's probably going up in the air. And so yeah. you don't have to be as worried about everything else. And this is what we talk about when we say Rashid breaks the meta and the expectations of the game. He literally does not play by the rules that everyone else does, and he gets to do whatever the hell he wants to. I have actually seen top Gachakun, John Takauchi, and other stuff like that corner themselves to try to bait the other person into like just going in on them uh, and just winning the match right then and there. It's like this is a character who could freaking corner himself and win. <laughs> and that should not be a thing in Street Fighter V. That does not work that way for any other character. You get in the corner, you are a dead person. That is how that works. And this mother... I'm a little salty about Rashid. <laughs> a little salty about him. This is what this guy does, and that's why he pisses people off. But it's not that there's no counter to it. It's that the counter is very unsatisfactory in terms of what you get. I'm talking about getting a 90 damage option yeah. on this character. And what if he guesses right and he gets you in the right situation, I'm going to even guess right. If he just does stuff, that's what Rashid does. He does stuff, and he gets you. Like, he's getting 200, 300 damage on you. And now he has you cornered, and Rashid is one of the better corner pressure characters in Street Fighter V. And that is how come we hate this character with a passion, because that is a dumb design decision. That should not be how this character functions and works, yet he does. Well said. Ugh. I also don't like Rashid very much either. Yes. <laughs> this character's stupid. <laughs> He's stupid, damn it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so if you if Capcom needs help, if they're out there listening to this, and I, I'm sure, I mean, we just you know, discussed it earlier in the podcast. This is one of the most popular characters in the game. If you need help with this Capcom, if you need help like discussing how to fix Rashid here, just look at Vega. Just look at how Vega escapes the corner or does not escape the corner. And there you go. Uh, that's totally fine. Uh, and even then, Rashid's other tools would put him in a pretty dang good spot. He can sit there and hit crouching heavy punch all day long and hope to crush counter you. He can still do that. Like, he's still got it. Um, but uh, damn it. Ugh, this character makes me mad. But <laughs> And it's not even just playing against him. It's watching him. It's watching people do this crap that... Oh, man. So thank you for bringing this up, John. I'm definitely not salty now, and I'm definitely not going to have to dunk my head in some water after we're done this freaking set. <laughs> thank you for this one. But, uh, but yeah. No problem, boss. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, that, that's actually going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Uh, we do know we, we have some uh, mailbag questions in there from our, our listeners. Uh, we are definitely going to get to a number of these over the time. Uh, it's just uh, every week, it's it's hard to squeeze in everything we want to talk about. We You know, but we we definitely get around to it. Uh, and there it is. So, but once again, guys, thank you so much for listening to the event hubs podcast and we will be back with you soon. All right. Thank you guys. See you later.